Please turn back in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I'd like to um, just kind of highlight a few things that were given as announcements. Um, one is, um, I was just watching people bring in uh, crock pots full of chili, so I hope you all stay, because it's going to be really, really good, <laughs> okay? Uh, so uh, that's going to be fun. So stay for the harvest uh, thing. Uh, secondly, the biblical finance class that's being offered, our concern is, and our burden is, is that... Um, we would be able to take the, what the Bible teaches about money and financing, and, and, and we would, it, this, this is particularly focused to younger families. And the reason it's focused to that is, is that um, I know that many of you have made a commitment that um, one, you're going you're gonna to live in a two-income culture with one income in order to best minister to your children. Jan and I made that commitment years and years ago, and it, and it was hard. It was hard. Jan and I were, were, for 20 years, we were considered below the poverty line. But you know what the secret is? We were the richest people in America, so <laughs> they didn't know that. But anyway, but that means that finances and budgeting and, and making sure that you're being a good steward, but also keeping your heart, learning contentment, learning the things of the Word of God. And so this class is to help take the principles of the Word of God and help apply that. And then we have some brothers here in the church that have, uh, a, you know, have some expertise in helping in terms of financing, in terms of preparing for the future and things like that. But here's our challenge. Our challenge, and it's really been a huge challenge to all churches over the last five years or six years, is the increased busyness of society and the busyness of people trying to, that is, how do you get these people together? So when we proposed this class, the question was, how do we get these young families together? How do we get these people to come to a class? Because you know, they have children, they have to get them in bed at night, they have to do this. And so what's in your bulletin is an attempt to try to figure out how to reach the most people with a class like that. So please take that little survey seriously so that we could know uh, what you would do, uh, what, how we could best minister to you. Finally, let me just really put an appeal out to any of the men who are here who are retired or have mastery over your own schedule. In other words, you, you, can, you can set appointments and change things. And please help us tomorrow and Tuesday. Um, this, this is, this is a, a, it's a, it is a big job, and I, and, and I would hate to see it land on just a few people. Um, a, a deck needs to be taken apart. It's prepared to be taken apart, a, a ramp, and then moved and then put back together again. And I also want to make a particular appeal to this church um, because of who we're doing it for. Uh, this is Gary Visniski, and Gary has put together a lot of ramps. He has helped a lot of people. He is one of those guys that when we have a work project, he is there and he is working hard. And he has done that. And so there's a sense in which if anybody should have a good um, group of volunteers saying thank you, it's Gary. And so uh, let me just really encourage you. If you have to, and you don't have to go both days. If you can do Monday, do Monday. If you can do three hours on Monday, do three hours on Monday, two hours on Monday. If you can just do Tuesday, do Tuesday. But please, um, we, would, we would really like to have the help. That would be a great benefit to us as well. So let's uh, pray and ask God to come this morning and to really speak to us from his word and to help us to really know what he wants us to know this day. Let's pray together.
Father, we can say with the Apostle Paul that we bow before you now and we ask that you, out of your riches, out of your riches, you would grant us strength and power and grace to grasp what you have given to us in Christ Jesus, to grasp the width and to grasp the length and to grasp the depth and the height, to grasp that which is to know something which is beyond knowledge, to know you. Father, we call upon you. We plead with you. As Jeff said so well at the beginning of the service, we come here today with so many distractions, and sometimes it's hard to even focus, but Father, what you have for us today is the, is the richest of all riches. It's the consummation of this great prayer, and we pray that you will help us. Please help us. Please teach us, and please help us to to sort of take in with a Holy Spirit-empowered knowledge and reality and to take this with us and help us, we pray. Thank you. Thank you that we can come to you and call upon you, and we know that you hear us and you love us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We are concluding this great prayer this morning, and as, as you remember, I kind of talked about this prayer as being sort of steps, step, uh, going up a, steps of, uh, a flight of stairs, and with this uh, final phrase that we're going to look at this morning, we are going to be at the very top of the stairs, and uh, I wanted to read from you John, from John Stott's commentary in Ephesians. He put it so well. <clears throat> he said this, as we now look back down the staircase, which we have been climbing with Paul, we cannot fail to be struck by his audacity. And I want to pause here in the quote. We cannot be fail to be struck by his audacity. And I want to kind of emphasize Stott's point here. This is an audacious prayer. This is an amazing prayer. This is a go big or go home prayer. This is the most astounding prayer that Paul is telling every Ephesian Christian and the Holy Spirit through him is telling all of us to pray. This is an audacious prayer. And that's why Stott begins, as we now look back down the staircase, which we have been climbing with Paul, we cannot fail to be struck by his audacity. He prays that his readers may be given the strength of the Holy Spirit and the ruling presence of Christ the rooting of their lives in love, the knowledge of Christ's love in all of its dimensions, and the fullness of God himself. Stott then pauses and says, these are bold petitions. Climbers of this staircase become short of breath and even a little giddy. And I think that's very well put. This is where we're going. And today, we're going to focus to that final step of this prayer, that final step. And that's the last phrase of verse 19, where he says this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Look at that again. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about that that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. That you and I, dead in trespasses and sins and made alive by him, forgiven by the, we would be filled with all of the fullness of God. Matthew Henry says this. He says, it is a high expression. We should not dare to use it 
if we did not find it in the scriptures. God, fill me with your fullness. Fill me with your fullness. So let's study this text. Let's look at what this text means. Let's do an exegesis of this text. And then we're going to kind of do a broad sweep of what this text means. But then we're going to ask, is this even possible? Is this even possible? So let's begin by just doing what is, is an exegesis of the text. That might be a word you're not familiar with, but it's a word you should be familiar with. Exegesis means to draw something out of, to draw out of. And it's, it's an important uh, understanding of Scripture. In fact, I want to tell you, wherever God takes you in this world, wherever you go in this world, don't ever sit under any preaching that is not exegetical where it opens up the word of God by taking out what the word is, is what it, the Bible says, looking at the Bible carefully and taking out what it says. See, so much preaching today is not exegetical. It's where a preacher takes a text, reads it, and then he launches off giving his own thoughts. Or worse, where people look at the Bible and then tell the Bible what it's supposed to say and not what it does say. You, exegesis is when you take the Bible, you listen to its words, you study its words, you look at its grammar, you look at its history, you draw out what you can from it, and then you apply it to yourselves. And so let's do a careful exegesis of this, of this last phrase. What is this simply saying? And so you'll notice here it says this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul says that you may be filled that you may be filled. And the point that I just want to make is this. That is actually a passive verb. That you may be filled is passive. Kids, I don't know if you, if you um, know you're taking English class. You guys are taking English, aren't you? Yeah. If you're taking English class, English class, they teach you all kinds of stuff that doesn't seem to make any sense and doesn't seem to have any purpose in life. But it actually, actually does. And here's one is, is that some, some actions are, are active, you know. Uh, the, 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 boy, the boy petted the dog. See, I, the boy if, or, or the man pets the dog. I'm being active. I'm petting the dog, okay. But if the sentence is the dog bit the man, then I'm actually being passive. The dog's being active. I'm being passive. I'm being bit, okay. Well, this is actually a passive verb, that you may be filled, that you may be filled. And this is something that is to happen to us by God. And we're going we're to draw back on that. By God. Now, notice then it says this, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. And that word with there is a preposition. But it actually, it actually carries within it an idea of motion, an idea of movement, an idea of, of, of something ongoing, an ongoing process that you might be filled with the fullness of God. You might be filled, 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 filled with the fullness of God. Filled, filled, filled. And that's something that's a part of the scriptures. Let's just flip over to chapter 5 and verse 18. Uh, we're going to get to this at this point, at some point. But again, notice it says this, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And that's actually a passive as well, but it's a passive imperative. It's a, it's a command, but it's a command to, to have something happen to you. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And we'll open that up when we get to that. But notice this, Christians are to be filled, filled, filled. And what does it mean to have ongoing filling? What does it mean to be filled, 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 filled? Well, think of a, think of a balloon. <clears throat> and if you had a balloon, if I had a balloon here, and I blew up that balloon until it was about this big, and I would hold that balloon up, and I would say to you, how much of this balloon, is this balloon full of air? And you say, yeah, the balloon's full of air. It's full of air there. I say, okay. And then if I blew it up and like this, I said, now notice, it's still full of hair, air, but it's fuller of air. It's fuller. It's expanding. 
And, and imagine if you could take a weather balloon. A weather balloon could pretty much fill this room, I would imagine. And these are, or, or a hot air balloon where people go up into the, into the sky. And, and you notice the fire underneath it. It's constantly filling, 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 filling. And it's expanding, expanding, expanding. And that's the concept that Paul is using here. That you may be filled with this ongoing process, filled with, and then he uses this phrase, all, notice the words, all the fullness of God. Whoa. Whoa. At this point, your brain's going beep, 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 overload, overload, overload. What? All of the fullness of God. Now, this is hard to grasp. This is hard to grasp. And yet, the closest we can do is, is sort of point in, in the direction as the other scriptures give, give it to us. Now, the Bible in Colossians says that Jesus, the, the very Son of God, the very, the very Son, was that, that in him dwelt all the fullness of God. That's not what this is talking about here. We're not going to become divine and be divine. That's not what's being talked about here. Perhaps here, we look at other scriptures and they point us in that direction, would be scriptures like this. In John chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, and of his fullness, this is Jesus, of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. Now, before you move, notice that of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. There's this idea of fullness. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, notice here, through Jesus Christ, we have received the fullness of grace for grace. Or Jesus, when he was with the woman at the well in Samaria, and he said this to her in John 4, 14, but whoever drinks of the water which I shall give him will never thirst, never thirst. There's a sense of fullness, isn't it? But the water which I shall give him will come in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. So get this idea of fullness. Jesus has promised a fullness of life, a fullness of life, a fullness of vitality, a fullness of our thirst being quenched in him. You'll never thirst again if you come to me. And there's that fullness that, that God wants us to experience. Again, Jesus said in John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. Never hunger. He'll be completely satisfied all of the time. Like you say after a Thanksgiving meal, oh, no, no, not another piece of pie. I'm full, I'm full. He will never, ever hunger. He will be full because of me. And then he goes on to say, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He will never be thirsty again because he will be drinking of my fullness, eating of my fullness. It will be like a river of life in him. You will receive fullness of grace for grace in him. And I think that's where this passage is going. The fullness of God, the fullness of who God is. Actually, Jeff, I almost grabbed your, your, your book, and, um, and because the very first line that you read was, was so powerful, and I love Tozer, by the way. The very first line is, Tozer was saying, don't, don't seek after God for the blessings that you'll get from God. Seek God himself. And that is what this passage is actually saying. Look at the passage. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Of God. Now let me let me kind of show you two pass two verses, two um, different Bible translations of this verse. And I want to show you one that I think misses the mark, and I want to show you another one that hits the mark. But I, I want to caution you before I do this. Um, I I you know I'm kind of bigoted and and pretty hard nosed about Bible translations and everything. And I'm actually going to show you two translations that I don't really recommend. 
Uh, but and so please take that all take that all in, in account. In fact, the first one isn't even a translation. It's called the New Living Translation, but it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. Uh, and it's good to have. It's good to have one of these. That's fine. If you have one in your lap, that's fine. Please don't make this your main Bible, though, because this is not accurate Bible in that sense because it tends to be more of a paraphrase. But anyway, nevertheless, notice what they say here in Ephesians 3.19. The New Living Translation says, um, <clears throat> May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. <clears throat> now, I think that's true. You will experience life and power that comes from God, but that's not an accurate translation of this verse. This verse isn't, and this is what Tozer said so perfectly, nailed it, what Jeff read this morning. Don't seek after life and power from God. Seek after God. Now, notice the Amplified Bible is the next Bible I'm actually uh, quoting here because, and again, the Amplified Bible is an interesting Bible. Don't make it your primary Bible, but it, if it's a, a Bible to have alongside because what it does is they put these little paragraphs and they sort of interpret it as they go along. And you'll see that, or the parentheses. Notice it says this, that you may be filled, that you may be filled up throughout your being. They're, they're kind of adding that to the fullness of God. Now they're going to sort of interpret it for you, but they, do, they nail it. They nail it here. So that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your life, completely filled and flooded with God himself. And I think that they nailed it. When I read that, I said, well, they nailed it. I'm putting, even though it is the Amplified Bible, I'm putting it up there. And they nailed it and with God himself. And that's what Paul was saying here. Paul is saying, he's praying, as the final step of this prayer, that we would be filled with the fullness of God. God, we would experience God in a, full, in a fullness of all of his fullness and all of the greatness of who he is. We will experience that. Now, it will involve life. It will involve power. It will involve never hungering. It will involve never thirsting. It will involve all of these things. But, it, but, but this is the emphasis of what Paul is saying. So why is he saying, where, what does he mean by this? Where is he going with this? How does this, how do, how do we sort of put uh, uh, you know, meat on this thing? And I would say this, if you actually look in the book of Ephesians, we're actually at chapter three, we're halfway done with the book of Ephesians, okay? And you'll notice here, there's six chapters, we're finishing chapter three. But you'll notice that the next two verses, 20 and 21, are actually a doxology of sorts. They're, they're a doxology, and they end at the end of verse 21 with forever and ever, amen, okay? <clears throat> Paul is, offers this prayer, he offers them this doxology, and he says amen. There's a sense, and now he, then he moves on to something different, okay? And chapter 4 is going to be different, 5 and 6, we're going to get into the more practical. I think what Paul is doing here, and I think that, why he, I think that what's help, help, will help us understand this is, I think he's summarizing all that he's done already. I think he's bringing it all to fullness and summary. Because think about it. Now, we've been studying the book of Ephesians since January, okay? It is now October. We have been, we have been just studying this book and, 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 and delighting in this book and, and enjoying this book and immersed in this book. And, and we've been, and, and remember I told you that up to this point in the book of Ephesians, we have not gotten one commandment to do something. 
We, we had a mild one in chapter three, 2 and verse 11 where Paul says, remember that you, were one, that you Gentiles once were bad off. That's the only command. All we've gotten from chapter 1 through chapter 2 through chapter 3 is Paul describing and describing and describing and describing and describing what God has done for us in Christ. In fact, look at chapter 1 and verse 3. <clears throat> to this point, what we actually have going on here is Paul, this letter, Paul has been praising God and blessing God for how rich God has blessed us. That's what this whole letter is. It's to the glory of God for what he's done for us. Look at chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That is the most wonderful summary of what we've looked at for three chapters. Praise you, God. Bless you, God, for blessing us so much. And how did God bless us? What did God bless us with? Well, he blessed us with his grace. He blessed us with his love. He blessed us with this uh, salvation. And, and so let's kind of sweep through. Let's kind of sweep through and just remind ourselves of where we've been so far. Paul begins by saying, God, in his grace and his love, chose us, set his love upon us, and determined to adopt us into his family forever before time began, before the foundation of the world. Billions and billions and billions and billions of years ago, before the world was ever created, the sun, the stars, any, any element, anything was created, there was this great vacuum or void in terms of all of that. God loved you. God loved you. He chose you. And he said, this one is going to be my child. And Paul says, that's all of grace. It's all of grace. Look at verse 6 and chapter 1. To the praise of the glory of his grace. And then Paul says this. He then says this. God not only chose us before the foundation of the world and chose us to be his child and loved us, but then he immediately jumps. Look at chapter 1 and verse, uh, uh, at the end of verse 6. He says, he talks about the beloved, God's beloved, his beloved son. And then he says, in him we have redemption through his blood. And then he mentions blood. God, in his grace and his mercy, gave his beloved son to die for us. God gave his beloved son to die as an act of his grace and his mercy. Dear friends, and I don't want to bring up pain here, but there are some here who have had children who have died. And that is the most agonizing thing I believe that a parent could possibly go through. They've had children who have died, and they're sitting here today. Could you imagine, dear ones, if you had to watch one of your children be executed? Could you imagine? Imagine one of your children actually committed a crime. If one of your children actually committed the crime and, and it was guilty and was being executed, if you're a parent, you're, I'm, I know for me, I, I'm going to the execution simply because I don't want my child to die alone. I want my child to look through that glass and see me there. I want, I, but what a horrible experience it would be to watch them kill my son. But could you imagine, dear ones, no, we can't actually, if that child was innocent. He hadn't committed the crime. Could you imagine being a parent standing behind that glass and watching your child? How sickening that would be. How awful that would be. 
knowing that their suffering was absolutely unjust and unjustifiable. How you would have to wrestle to keep your own sanity and there would be a mixture of pain and agony and sorrow and all of that. I mean, Mary had to have felt some of that as she was watching Jesus be crucified. But certainly God the Father understood all of that. And that's why Romans says he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up. He did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Paul is saying, this God who chose us before the foundation of the world gave his son to die for us, gave his son to bleed, gave his son to be crucified, gave his son to bear our, our, our sins, gave his son so that we could have the forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 7. According to the riches of his grace. He did this because his God's so full of grace. And he did this to God. And, and look at verse 8. Which he made to abound toward us or lavish upon us. He lavished this grace. He lavished this upon us because he is a God of love. And then Paul, he talks, Paul then continued to write in a letter. And this God gave us an inheritance. He gave us an inheritance. He, he gave his children eternal life. He gave his children a new heavens and new earth. He gave his children glory in heaven. He's preparing a place for us. We're going to share in his glory. He's given us this wonderful, rich inheritance. And then this God gave us the Holy Spirit. That's what he goes on to say in chapter 1. He gave us the Holy Spirit then as a down payment, as a deposit, as a guarantee that all of these things are going to be true. And he's done this because he is a God of such grace and mercy. And then at the end of chapter 1, Paul prays a prayer that all of these things would be real to us and that we would understand, look at verse 18, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know the hope. Know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Know all of these things that we have. And then he jumps in chapter 2 and he says this. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were following after the course of the world. We were following after Satan. We were children of wrath. That's who we were. And go back and think about who you were before God saved you. What you were about. You were about you. You were about the world. You were about doing what you wanted to do. You didn't want to hear about God. You didn't care about God. You were about following your lusts and your desires and the things that you wanted to do. And nobody was going to get in the way of you doing it. And if they did try to get in the way, you'd lie your way yourself through. You'd get yourself through. You, you would follow. And guess what you were? Guess what you were? Paul says you were following the prince of the power of the air. You were a marionette. And, and Satan was moving and directing. And you were really easy to do. You were really easy to do. Did you ever have a dog you need to get him in the house? Here, Rover, here, Rover, here, here. Look at this bone, look at this bone. Open the door, throw it in, boom. He goes running in, boom, he's in the... Satan could do that to us. He could tempt us, he could desire, he could whisper, he could suggest. And we, oh yeah, I want this, oh yeah, I want that. Oh, I want this, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. Keep, keeping you away from God, keeping you from looking at God. And, and, and you were an enemy of God. You were hostile to God. You didn't want to hear about God. And what did God do? Look at chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, did what? Said, come alive. Come alive. And with his mighty effectual power, he gave you spiritual life. He opened your eyes. He gave you the new birth. He gave you a new heart. He made you a new creation. And all of a sudden, your eyes opened up and you said, there's God. There's his son. There's salvation. 
And God, out of his rich love and mercy, did this to you. This is how Paul is explaining who this great God is. And then he goes on in the end of chapter, at the second half of chapter two, and he says to those of us, all of us Gentiles, he says, You were enemies, you were out there, you weren't part of the citizenship. And God has brought you in, and in Christ Jesus, he made us all one, Jew and Gentile. He made us all one in Jesus Christ. He united us in Jesus Christ. He made one new humanity. And now you are members of God's kingdom. You are citizens in God's kingdom. You are members of God's household. You are members of God's family. You are you're being built into a holy temple and God is dwelling in the midst of you. You Gentiles, you were nothing and now you're the indwelling of God upon the face of the earth. And then in chapter 3, he starts talking about the fact that God had this master plan that included all of this and he's working it out and he's placing you in Christ. And then he starts using phrases like this, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we have access to God. We can walk straight into his presence and we can do it boldly and we can be welcomed through all the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. And then in the end of chapter three, he prays this masterful prayer and he's, it's as if he's praying all of chapters one, two, and three. He's trying to pray it in. I ask God to give us strength by the power of the Holy Spirit in the inner man that Christ would take up residence, that Christ living in our heart, his presence would be known and felt, and our, our lives, our, our inner life would be re, 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 rehabbed, re, re changed around, switched all around, and by his, by his residence moving in, Christ moving in amongst us, that our taproots would go deep down in his love, that our foundation would be built on his love, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would begin to grasp how long and how wide and how deep and how high, how immeasurable this immeasurable love. We will begin to know it, experience this which is beyond knowledge. You won't be able to describe it to people, but you'll know it in your heart. You'll know it. You'll experience it. You'll know it. People will say, well, why do you love Christ so much? Oh, I'm going to have a hard time telling you. I'll give you, I'll give you what I know, but I'm going to have a hard time. But I tell you what, I, I know a love. I know this grace. And then Paul says this, finally, in order that, and notice verse 19, 319, in order that you may be filled, filled with all the fullness of God, that you would experience God in all of his depth, in all of his power, in all of his richness, in all that God is, that you would grasp this great love, that you would grasp that he has loved you for a billion years. That you would grasp that he has put you in Christ Jesus. That you would grasp that he watched the execution of his own son for you while your sins were being punished there. That you would grasp that this plan was being worked out. You would grasp that you were being made a part of this plan. You would grasp that he rose you again from the dead. He rose you up from the spiritual death. He gave you new life. He called you to yourself. He enabled you to believe. He enabled you to trust. He brought spiritual life into your life. That you would grasp that he has given you the Holy Spirit. You would grasp that all of these things are true and true for you and you would be filled with them, filled with them, 
filled with him, ongoing, filling, filling, like the balloon, growing and growing and growing. You would be filled with the fullness of God and filled with the fullness of God. And these things would become more and more real and you'd be more and more amazed and more and more shocked. Love before the foundation of the world. God, really, seriously, thank you. We'll praise you and thank you. Execution of your own son for me. Oh, thank you. We'll praise you. Oh, God, that is so, and it becomes real to you. I was dead and I'm alive. I'm alive. Thank you, God. I'm alive. Thank you. The blood shed for all of my sins. Thank you. My sins are forgiven. Thank you. I have access to you. Oh, amazing. I have access to you. I have, this is so wonderful. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the down payment. I have been included in this plan. Praise God. You are so loving. You are so great. You are so gracious. You are so good. You have included me. Bless you, God. Bless you that you have blessed me with all of these blessings in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is praying for us here. He's praying that, that these people would experience this. He's praying that we would be filled with hope. Filled with hope. Are you full of hope? Filled with hope. Listen to Ephesians, uh, Romans 15, 13. Please, folks, just give me a break here. Romans, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope who filled you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice this, that the God of hope would fill you with all hope and fill you with all joy and fill you with all peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is very similar to the prayer. Filled with God, filled with hope. Filled with the reality of these things. And while everybody is walking around all worried, Jeff, I love what you did this morning. Bay of Pigs, Vietnam, Jan's like, oh, Jeff's losing a stroke right here in front of our eyes. And then, no, no, no. Jeff is saying, that's what Tozer was all worried about. Today we have the war in Israel. We have the war in Ukraine. We have the war in Myanmar. We have all of this stuff going on. We have, we, and, 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 Tozer, and Jeff was trying to make the point this and different. In the midst of all that, you've got these people who are filled with the fullness of God and hope. Y'all just came to church today and started singing about eternal life and seeing Jesus. And that's what it means. Filled with peace. God says, be anxious for nothing, but let your requests be made known. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard you. Filled with God makes you be filled with peace. You'll be filled with joy. Filled with joy. John 15, 11, Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be filled. This is a prayer that God, we, we would be filled with God, and in such a way we would be filled with joy, and we would be filled with gratitude, and we'd be filled with thanksgiving, and we would rejoice always, and we would give thanks in all circumstances, and that we would be filled with the love of God. God. We would be amazed at his grace, amazed that he has been so patient and so kind and so loving and so giving and so good to us. And, and that he daily has just, he comes to us daily. He's concerned for us daily. He's loved us for billions of years and he's going to love me today and he's going to love me tomorrow and he's going to love me the next day. And that, that, that sense of God's love, that sense of God's goodness, that sense of the greatness and fullness of God has filled my life. I am filled with God. I'm filled with all of these things. That's what Paul is praying. That God in all of his fullness, in all of his love, in all that he has done for you, 
will fill you more and more, will flood your heart more and more until you, you, you just keep expanding, expanding, expanding. I, I, I don't know where he got this reference, but, and he's gone to be with the Lord now. He's, he's, he's enjoying all of this. And, but Ted Donnelly preached at one point, and he, he said, I heard him recently, recently in listening to a sermon, he said that Jonathan Edwards at one point felt so overwhelmed by the greatness of God that he said, God, please, please stop. I, I, I'm afraid I'm not going to survive this. That's why the Bible says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We need spiritual resurrected bodies to be able to take in all of the love, all of the joy, all of the glory, all of the amazement of goodness of God. The people in, in heaven right now are experiencing this. They're, they're, they're drinking this in. They're, 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 they're enjoying, and they're seeing it face to face. We're seeing it by, 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 by faith. They're seeing by sight. And this is what Paul is praying, that God would be more real, that God would be sweeter, that God would be greater, that you would feel more beloved, you would feel your adoption, you would feel the, empower, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let's apply this to ourselves. And at this point, I would imagine most of you are thinking, this feels impossible. In fact, I can't even imagine this. Todd, you don't know my life. I'm not a pastor like you are. You sit in your study for hours and wrestling this. I'm not a monk. I'm not one of those rare super spiritual mystics. Dear friends, remember I told you, this has not been written for those people. This has been written for the Ephesians. There are husbands there and wives there. He's going to deal with their marriage. There are parents there. He's going to deal with their parenting. There are children there. He's going to talk to the children. There are slaves there. He's going to talk to the slaves. There are masters there. He's going to talk to the masters. These are common. See, and that's what we're doing today. I'm sure many of you are saying, Todd, this is too much. This seems impossible. I, I can't even imagine a life like this. You have to realize, Todd, I'm a mom. I wake up every morning, not to an alarm clock or not when I'm rested. I wake up every morning to a cry from a crib. And then I make meals, three meals a day, three meals a day, but you know, three or four people are eating. I'm making nine, 12 meals a day. And then once I make the, the, the meal of the one who woke me up from the, my, my sleep because he or she was crying in the crib, then I have to wipe them up. I have to wipe their mouth. I have to wipe their hands. I have to wipe their, their bib off. I have to wipe their tray. And then I have to wipe the floor where the high chair was. And then... Once the food passes, I have to wipe their bums. And I have to do laundry then. And I have to, and when I go to the store, Todd, you don't understand. When I go to the store, I have to load kids in car seats. And then I drive to the store and I unload them from the car seat. And then I go into the store and I load them into the cart. Then I load food into the cart. And then I pay for the food and then I take it to the car and I unload the food into the cart. And then I unload the kids into the car seat and then I drive home. And then I unload the kids from the car seat and then I unload the food from the cart. And then I have to make a meal. And then I have to clean the house. And then I have to do laundry. And then we have to read books and then we play. And then my husband comes home and I want to have some semblance of looking still somewhat attractive to him. But then we have dinner and then we have to clean up and then we have to bathe them and then we have to put them to sleep. And by that time, my brain, my brain is mush. I am mush. And there might be dads who are saying, amen. 
I do the same thing. I put coffee down my mouth and I head out to work. And then from that moment on, there is stuff coming at me. There is things to do. There are things, a computer speaking to me or I'm working hard, I'm getting my hands. And then I come home and then the lawn is, needs mowed. And I go to mow the lawn and the lawnmower is broken. And then I fix the lawnmower and then I have to pay bills. And then I help with bath. And by that time, I am absolutely exhausted. How am I supposed to get near God? And then there's old people here who are saying, Todd, you don't understand. I hurt every day, and I don't sleep well, and so I wake up tired. And if I try to even sit and read my Bible, I fall asleep. And if by some miracle I don't fall asleep and I actually read a a paragraph of the Bible, within three seconds I forget exactly what I read. I hear you. I know you're out there. I'm joining you soon. I can't do this. Guess what, dear ones? The Holy Spirit anticipated that. And he led Paul to say this. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do. I want to pause here. I said to you, you, I I helped put words in your mouth. To your thoughts, I mean, I can't do this. Dear ones, this is a prayer. This isn't something you're supposed to do. I mean, you're supposed to pray it. This is something God's supposed to do. Look at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees, not to you, to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. That he would grant. Look at verse 20. And now to him who is able to do. This is a prayer. Our part is to seek God, yes. Our part is to pray this prayer. Our part is to call on God. Our part is to sit and hear God's word preach. Our part is to read our Bible if we get, if, when we get opportunity to do that. But this is a prayer. We're to pray this prayer. God, do this. Remember I told you that the filling here is a passive? God, fill me. God, fill me with the fullness of you. God, help me to grasp these things. God, come. You bring the power. You bring the ability. You bring the Holy Spirit. You bring the help. God, help me. That's what this is. This is a prayer. This is a prayer. But then notice, look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Some of your Bibles say, imagine, according to the power that works in us. Dear ones, that is God's way of saying to you, I can do this. I've got the power. I've got more power than you can imagine. I've got exceedingly great power. That means super abundant power. It actually means, Paul actually threw so many words here together, he actually means more than super abundantly. God, who is able to more than super abundantly do all that we ask or even imagine. That's why I use the phrase. Some of you are saying, this is impossible for me, Todd. I can't even imagine this. Amen. But look at verse 20. But God can do the unimaginable in your life. God can work in your life. The Holy Spirit is in you. The indwelling Christ is at work within you. God loves you. He's loved you before the foundation of the world. And God wants this for you. God had Paul write this audacious prayer because this audacious go big or go home reality of knowing the fullness of God in my life here and now, that is God's will for you. That's what God wants. That's God's agenda. It's God's plan. I've loved you before the foundation of the world. 
I sent my son. I watched my innocent son executed for you. I gave him for you so that your sins would be forgiven. I gave you miraculous supernatural life called the new birth, and now you're a Christian. And now I want to fill you with my fullness. I know you're busy. I know your life. I know exactly where you are. But I'm great. I'm God. And pray to me. And I will saturate you with myself. I will saturate you with me. I will fill your life. And it will go on and on. And the balloon will expand and expand. A bald, sickly young man stood up one day to preach to a small little group of people who were going to change the absolute course of the world. His name was William Carey. He was a cobbler. He made shoes. But his whole life he just prayed and prayed and prayed that the church would wake up and start sending missionaries around the world. And he launched what is called the modern missionary world. And the reason why you and I keep hearing about missionaries in China, missionaries in, uh, I mean, sorry, Christians in China, Christians in Africa, Christians in, 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 the, in, the, Asia, in the Pacific Islands, Christians in New Zealand, Christians in, in, it was because this man, William Carey, stood up to a small handful of men. The church was not doing any missions at that point. And he preached a sermon, and the sermon had two points. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And dear ones, I want you to go home today expecting great things from God. And I want you to pray, oh God, fill me. Oh God, fill me with you. Oh God, I want to experience you in the midst and busyness of all that I'm doing and God, come, break in, come, draw me. And I want to tell you once, I want to tell you, dear ones, he can do it, and he will do it. Seek, ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock. And I want to tell you why I'm so convinced of this. Well, because God is God. This is in his word, and he, he wants us to pray this prayer. But I'm also saying it for this reason. I have seen godly men, godly women, Godly girls and godly boys. And there were godly slaves who over time grew. And I'm going to embarrass my wife a little bit here, but she's sitting here today at 66 years old. And she had 11 children. And I remember her agonizing. And I didn't have an answer for her. I remember her agonizing. How in the world does God expect me to pray? How does God expect me to worship? I was always up front. She had all the kids. She lived in the nursery for 20-some years. How in the world does God expect me to do this? And I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of words to say to her. I could do is just hug her and pray for her. But dear ones, God did. She sits here today as one of the most godly women I've ever known. And God did it. I'm telling you, God can do this in your life, your busy, distracted, exhausted, aging life. God can answer this prayer. Believe in him. Put him to the test. Do it. Let's all leave this place and pray, oh, God, oh, God, give me grace and strength and the ability to grasp 
all that you have done for me in Christ that I could be filled with all of your fullness. And God, 10 years from now, let me even be more filled. And 20 years from now, let me be even more filled until the day that I die, that blessed day that I die. And then I see you face to face and I'm absolutely filled. May God give us that grace. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray. We pray that you would grant to us, out of your riches, that you would strengthen us in our, in our inner man. We're exhausted, Father. The moms here are exhausted. The dads are exhausted. The single people here are exhausted. The employees are exhausted. The employers are exhausted. The elderly, we're exhausted. We don't have strength. Father, grant us strength by your Holy Spirit in the inner man that we might grasp your great love for us, your billion and billion and billion year old love for us, your grace toward us, your unmerited love, your unconditional love, your patient love, your good love. How much you're for us. You sacrifice. Oh, Father, make these things so real to us that we will be a flame of fire for you. No matter how weak and tired and distracted and old we feel, no matter how busy we are, that moments will come even in a busy day with a crying baby that we will know, we will know and experience you in your fullness. Come, we pray. Come, work. We expect great things from such a great God. And we trust you. Father, for those who have never tasted of you but are hungry for you, this at this moment, come, hear their prayer, save them. You're a great God, save them. Make another treasure of your grace. Bring another forever child home. Draw them to you, I and we will give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.